The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of the human race. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. There was a man sent by God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only begotten son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and called and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given to Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only begotten Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, I wish you all a most wonderful and Merry Christmas this day. Uh, it's not quite what we expected in terms of weather out there. Didn't really think of a, a balmy, warm uh, Christmas day, but, you know, here we are. And uh, I wanted to, uh, just in case there might be some people who are visiting or maybe who haven't been to church in a while during the COVID situation. Uh, so uh, if you're wondering who this guy is up here, my name is Father Steve Marsh. Um, I'm one of the new priests that came here in July uh, uh, for this family of parishes. So uh, if you're not aware of our family of parishes, we have four parishes all together. Uh, so there's here at Good Shepherd. Uh, I live over in Bell River at St. Simon St. Jude Parish uh, with Father Rob. He's also there. And then we've got St. Anne's in Tecumseh with uh, Father Patrick and Father Mark and St. Jerome uh, in Windsor. And uh, all four of us priests minister to this whole area called the Windsor Lake St. Clair Catholic Family of Parishes, because we all got to have these monstrously long names. <laughs> so, but anyway, I welcome you all here today uh, for this wonderful celebration of Christmas, uh, which is very exciting. I always love the season of Christmas. And to remember as well, this is the beginning of the Christmas season, not the end. You know, it carries on. 
uh, well into the year. So you gotta wait until the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord before Christmas comes to a close. So it's, it's gonna be going on for a while. So keep, keep saying Merry Christmas to people. But today's gospel reading also is very exciting to me because I've always loved the gospel of John. Uh, it's such a, a powerful um, and rich gospel because there's a lot of theology and a lot of imagery and a lot of connections that are being made. Uh, the other gospels do too, but there's a, a kind of a special way in which this gospel does it. So uh, at the beginning, notice right away from the start, this is the very beginning of the gospel and St. John starts with, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then, you know, all things came and he was in the beginning with God, all things came into being through him. Without, what, without him, not one thing came into being. So it's talking about creation. So right, right off the bat, our ears should kind of have a familiar sense when you think of the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. How does it begin? In the beginning, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. So we, we have that creation story that starts in the beginning. So John, it's no mistake, is making that same kind of parallel to Genesis. And he's trying to tell you the story of creation in a new lens. So he says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and was God. And then all things were created through and by the Word. Right? So this word, John reveals to us, is Jesus Christ. This word that God has spoken into the world, so to speak. And that this word is more than just, you know, sometimes people say like God's son, and we think of like, you know, we're all God's sons and daughters, and we think that maybe it's just kind of like an external sense, but Jesus is God. You know, it says here, he was in the beginning with God and was God. Both at the same time. This is a revelation of the Trinity. God is beginning to reveal to us by his son entering into the world, by Jesus Christ entering into the world. He's revealing the interior life of God. That God whom we know to be one God, one being, has a certain kind of multiplicity to him. That in the threeness of persons, there's this relational family kind of experience within God himself. And so through his word spoken into the world, that word, it says in the, uh, uh, later on in the reading here, the word became flesh and lived among us. So this is, this is enormous because God, who is beyond all things, beyond us, has entered down into creation and taken on creation in himself. The one who created everything himself unites himself to creation. God takes on human flesh and truly becomes human. This is mind-boggling what God has done. The incarnation, as we call it, incarnation meaning to take on flesh, to be enfleshed. The incarnation of Jesus Christ that we celebrate at Christmas is a mystery that has 
so much meaning, so much meaning to us. I'm going to, uh, actually, uh, just before I continue on, I want to mention one more little thing that I will come back to as well. When it says the word became flesh and lived among us, or some translations will say dwelt among us, both those words fall short of the real meaning of that word. Because the word that is used is the same word for tabernacle. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. What this means is like as we have the tabernacle in the church that is the place of the repose of Jesus in the Eucharist, it is the presence of God within the tabernacle. Or just like for the Israelites before Jesus came in the temple, uh, before you know things were destroyed and they had to rebuild, the temple held the presence of God. There was this big veil at the front and beyond the veil was called the tabernacle. And there was where the presence of God dwelt. And before that, when they dwelt in tents, and that actually tabernacle refers specifically to a tent. The origins of all of this was that they would travel with a tent and they had the Ark of the Covenant in a particular tent that they carried with them. And in that tent, it showed that was the presence of God because where the Ark of the Covenant was, that is where God was. So the tabernacle is the, the tent where God dwells, the place where God dwells. And what he says by this is the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Meaning that here in this life, in this world, by him taking on flesh, God dwells in the tabernacle of the universe. That he dwells and lives among us. His presence was here. So this is the amazing gift that God gives to us. But what I'd like to kind of talk about here, in case you've ever wondered about, or maybe you haven't even asked this question before, why? Why did God do this? Why did God decide to enter into the world and become one of us? Why come as a child? Why come and suffer and die for us? Why go through all of that? Well, the answer, I'm going to read, this is something that probably doesn't happen often. I'm going to read from the Catechism. So this is the official teaching of the church. And they have a section here starting in 456 that is called, titled, Why Did the Word Become Flesh? So there are four main points that the church says why it is that God entered into the world, why Jesus took on human flesh. And so I'm going to just mention the first three first and we'll come back to the fourth. So, first of all, the Word became flesh in order to save us by reconciling us with God, who loved and sent His Son to be the expiation for our sins. So the first reason is that God came to save us from our sins. That's reason number one. Reason number two is the Word became flesh that thus we might know God's love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So reason number two is God did it to demonstrate his love for us so that we might know how much he loves us. Third reason, the word became flesh to be our model of holiness. 
So this is by his example of the life of Jesus, he teaches us how to be. He teaches us how to be holy. So those are the first three reasons the catechism gives for why the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And to kind of flesh this out a little bit, the reason why this is so significant and so important is, first of all, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas says that it was not necessary at all that God should take on flesh and enter into the world. He didn't have to. By no means did he have to. And he did not have to enter into the world to even save us from our sins. As any parent knows, if your children misbehave, do something that they shouldn't, and they need to say they're sorry, they come to you and they say, I'm sorry. And you say, I forgive you. Maybe you give them a hug or something. And that's it. You're reconciled, right? All that's required for reconciliation is that uh, one is willing to give forgiveness, right? And one is willing to say that they're sorry. So our Heavenly Father could have simply just said, I forgive you. Done. Salvation is achieved. But that's very distant. That's very distant and far from us. And, and, and for people, you know, when we oftentimes, even in this life already, struggle sometimes to feel close to God, you know, imagine if God had just simply said, well, you're forgiven, I'm, you know, that's it. Then we would go, oh, great. And we'd carry on with our lives. It wouldn't hold much weight and meaning to us. But when God enters into the world and becomes one of us, who goes through and experiences all of human life, and just think about this, God who is the king of all creation, who is the creator of the universe, who is infinite and above all things, and we by comparison are, are, are dust. He comes to become one of us. He, he comes down as a little baby, born into the world, you know, crying, dirty diapers, like all the regular human stuff. He'd have to go up, grow up and go through puberty, you know, deal with all of the experiences that we deal with. Jesus lived that. He had to learn. He had to be taught. He had people who didn't like him, you know? He had struggles with other people who, who were against him to the point that his own people, his own creation crucified him on the cross. Even the chosen people among his creation wanted to have him dead. Now that demonstrates to us the love of God. That demonstrates to us the meaning of salvation. That God not only says, I forgive you, but what he does is he actually takes our human flesh becomes a human, and though he never sinned, never deserved death, whereas we do by our sin, though he never deserved it, he gives his life willingly to demonstrate to us how much he loves us. And so that by that means, one who is simultaneously human and God has sacrificed his life. So it means a human being has lived as a human being should, 
and given his life, even though he didn't deserve it. And also God suffered and died. God who otherwise could not suffer and die without, you know, taking on human flesh that can die. And so God does all of this to reconcile us to himself. And it also shows us his, his, how much he loves us. You know, just like it's more meaningful if your child does something really wrong and, and they do something to show they're sorry. You know, it's one thing to say, I'm sorry. It's another thing to do something to show you're sorry. Well, God didn't even sin, and he showed on behalf of humanity the sorrow for sins in the most extreme way possible. So salvation by this means takes on a whole new meaning. And it also means that for us, we get to see how much God loves us. That even though we didn't deserve it, you know, God came into a time of history in which humanity was willing to kill him. The worst of all sins. We were not at our best. You know, we were not in good shape. God enters into that time, freely gives his life, forgives us from the cross, and he continually pours out his life for us for free. For those who want it. There's nothing we have to do to earn it. We just have to be willing to accept the gift. To seek him out. I mean, that demonstrates monumental love in a way that none of us could ever compare. And then, of course, he also, by the example of his life, we see the witness of what it means to love. Remember when people used to wear WWJD bracelets all the time? That was a big thing for a while. What would Jesus do? No, we used to ask that question. What, how would Jesus act in this situation? What would he do in this situation? That's why he gave us an example because it's harder to relate to God when he's, you know, in heaven, right? It feels more distant, but to have him become one of us, we can see exactly how a person ought to be, how we ought to love. He demonstrates it to us. And then last of all, this is the biggest one, and this is the main reason why I brought the catechism out, because if you've never heard this before, this is either going to blow your mind or you're going to call me a heretic. So I'm reading it straight from the catechism so you know I'm not a heretic, but I'll explain it. The word became flesh to make us partakers of the divine nature. For this is why the word became man, and the Son of God became the Son of man, so that man, by entering into communion with the word and thus receiving divine sonship, might become a son of God. And here's the key line right here. <clears throat> For the Son of God became man so that we might become God. I'm going to read that again. For the Son of God became man so that we might become God. Did you know this is the teaching of the Catholic Church? This is amazing. That's right. <laughs> this is remarkable. 
And let me continue here. The only begotten Son of God, wanting to make us sharers in his divinity, assumed our nature so that he made man might make men gods. Okay, so let me break this down so that you understand a little bit better what the church is saying here. First of all, what it does not mean is that we become, di we become divine persons, right? We are human persons. We are human beings and we are human persons. Our origin is that we are human. Whereas God, he is a divine person. You know, Jesus Christ is a divine person. Though he became a human being, he never became a human person because who he is is who he is. He always remained divine. He didn't cease being divine, didn't cease being God. He took on human nature so that he fully became human. But he also remains always God and re retains his, his divine nature. So in the same way as God is a divine person become human, so when we die, if we serve God, if we give our lives to God and we find ourselves in heaven, we as human persons are divinized. We take on a human nature. We are united to the divine nature of God. This, this is hard to explain. This is just something that is so remarkable, so beyond our understanding. God wants to lift us up into the very life of the Trinity that we may share and partake in the life of God. He, by becoming flesh, this is why it's so important that Jesus entered into the world, because back in the Garden of Eden, prior to sin, yes, Adam and Eve were in the presence of God. They were near to him. But what has happened by Jesus taking on human flesh is he has elevated the dignity of human flesh. He has married together humanity and divinity that the two are united together so that when we become united in Christ, when we die with Christ and we rise with Christ, we're not just able to be in the presence of God, we're united to him that we share in his very divine life. This <laughs> This is amazing. This is the most incredible gift that one could ever have. Like, just to think about the fact, we as human mortal beings can become eternal, can share in the eternity of God, to share in the life of God, to be united with him, he who we can't see right now because of the veil over our eyes, will be so joined to him for all eternity the one who is love himself. And so how can we want anything else? How can we be worried about anything else? You know, so many of us through our lives, and myself included, and we all go through varying degrees of this, but, you know, we're worried about our, you know, we got our family life, we got our jobs, we got school, you know, we got all these other things that we we're worried about and we're concerned with in our life. And we often kind of make that the focus. And then religion kind of gets inserted somewhere in between there. And it becomes an aspect of our life. 
You know, God is a part of our whole life. It's one of the things that we do. But that's quite upside down from what God has given us. Because God has made us for him. Not just to be human, but to be raised up into God himself. To be united with him. That he wants, to, he wants to elevate and give us this supreme gift of union with him. And that's the whole reason we're on this earth. The whole reason we're going through this life. And so it's not that our, our jobs and our families and school and those things don't matter. It's that the reason we do those things is for God. He is the center of it all. Everything is for him. And so our whole lives are lived then and found and we find life in him. We go to school for him. We go to work for him. We have our families and love our families for him, in him, through him. That is the whole purpose. And that's why it is such a huge deal that Jesus Christ enters into our, our world that we celebrate this Christmas day that our Lord took on flesh and was born into the world even though he was pursued immediately as life was sought after right from the beginning, that he suffered through all of human existence and even had to die at the hands of his own people. You know, all of this God does to show us, look, look how much I love you. Look what this is all for. I'm doing this so you know I'm not far away. You know, if we think for a moment when we pray, we go like, where is God? How come he doesn't speak to me? He is shouting into the world, into creation itself. Everything that he has done into our whole existence, our whole life, everything speaks and proclaims that word of God. It's we who need to start paying attention better and hearing the gift, meditating and pondering upon the gift. That's why, you know, the, to sit there in prayer over the incarnation, to think about that and say, wow, what does that mean for me? What does that mean that Jesus did all this for me? Soak it in. You know, let the Lord just affect your life, your whole being. Because then even above all, here's, here's the capstone of it all. Because I'm not done yet. You know, you thought that was all great. On top of it all, the biggest, highest gift that God gives us, he already begins to give us in this life. So that gift of eternal life, of being united to him in eternity, he gives us on the altar when we receive the Eucharist. And that's pointed to already at the very beginning of the birth of Jesus. Jesus who was born in, uh, he was laid in a manger, right? Just to, just to be clear, because I know I had this confused for the longest time when I was growing up. I used to think when people talk about Jesus laid in the manger, I thought the crash was the manger. That, that's the crash. He was born in a stable, right? The little basket where he's laying is the manger. That's the manger. And the manger 
is a place where the animals went to eat. It was a feeding trough. This feeding trough Jesus is laid into, and he's born in, this, in the place called Bethlehem, which means literally house of bread. So here he is placed in a place to eat, born in the house of bread. What do you think God is telling us? He was pointing forward to the Eucharist, that Jesus Christ, when he gave his life, he would offer us this Eucharist that we celebrate every Sunday, every day. That when we receive the Eucharist, we receive Jesus Christ himself. We are united to him. You know how they say you are what you eat? This applies in the Eucharist. When we receive the Eucharist, that is the final capstone in which we are opened up to eternal life, in which God begins to transform us so that when the veil is lifted, though we can't see it now, what we're receiving in the Eucharist, that in eternity we see the fullness of what we have received, that we are transformed and united in God. And we receive that little taste of heaven every time we come to Mass and receive the Eucharist. And it's a pledge that we make to God, an oath we swear to God every time we receive the Eucharist to say, I give myself, I pledge my whole life to you, God. I belong to you. It's to rightly order all things in our life that we see God is at the center. And when we receive him into ourselves, we receive eternity into ourselves. And we become living tabernacles where the presence of God dwells. So, if you think that God hasn't given you anything or done anything for you, if you think that God is far away and distant. Look to the Eucharist. Look to the Eucharist here today because that's the Lord's Christmas gift to you. That that little child, vulnerable, you know, in danger, unprotected, you know, needing to be cared for, that little child entered into the world was God made flesh, the word made flesh that dwelt among us, that tabernacled among us. And that he grew up to give his life so that we receive that very life, that very resurrected Christ when we receive the Eucharist. So that we can get a taste now of heaven where God will one day unite us to him so that as we say at Mass, and you may not have heard this, but it was said in the opening prayer, and it is said at every Mass when we have the mingling of the water and wine. So when I take the chalice and I pour in the wine, it's said quietly, which is why you don't normally hear it. When I pour in that water, that little drop of water, I say, by the mystery of this water and wine, may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity. And so we can pray that every day, thanking God for the gift that he wants to give us 
and the gift that he does give us in the Eucharist, which is not just a gift, but the gift is the giver himself.